So I think, you know, at this stage, we've got a good idea of what works and what potentially might not work, but we're always trying to strive for something new. So we've got to take that risk. There's a fine line with immersive work of pushing the boundaries, but we've got to keep pushing those boundaries because that's what the audience expect. For me, is is an opportunity to create worlds of, of the biggest titles, the biggest franchise. I think it's about seeing how far we can push it. And each show, we see how far we can push. And of course, then we set a bar. So then we have to keep pushing and raising the bar as we go forward. Our next guest is Tom Muller. Many of you won't know him by name, but you will know the experience he's created. From his first show, having only six people attend, he's gone on to work with internationally acclaimed company Secret Cinema, working with some of the largest titles across the world, some of them including Doctor Strangelove, 28 Days Later, Romeo and Juliet, Casino Royale, and new to this year, Peaky Blinders. In this chapter, we peer behind the curtain to see how these big spectacle experiences are made from rehearsal to opening night. This chapter is for anyone making work with the audience as part of the experience. But also I think what Tom speaks to is how we all in this industry as creatives can push the boundary of whichever form we find ourselves working in, which I think personally is an amazing thing. This is the director's diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary. So if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. Okay, Tom, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, very generous of you to give us your time. Um, first of all, uh, before you say anything more, we need we need to do the the big tradition on this podcast, which is um, telling us your life story within two minutes. So you've got a timer there. Um, obviously an impossible task, but um, for those who don't know who you are, who are you? So my name is Tom Maller, uh, and I am an immersive theatre director. So I'm from Gloucestershire in the Cotswolds. Um, and my career started when I went to stage school on Saturday afternoons. You know, I, I fell in love with theatre uh, mainly musicals back then. And, you know, every Saturday we would rehearse for a new show. Uh, at school, I was lucky enough to meet a teacher, Miss Richards, who saw some potential in what I was doing and and asked me to apply for the National Youth Theatre, which I've never heard of, but um, I was fortunate enough to get in. But at that time I was like 14. So I came to London and uh, I had to have a chaperone. So all the cool kids who were 18 plus got to go out for drinks and lunch, whatever. But I had this lovely guy who looked after me. Um, so the National Theatre was kind of a turning point because when I was younger, of course, you know, I play sports and, and do what your friends are doing. But I think that's when my parents saw that. Maybe that's a direction that could be possible. And so from there, I left school and um, was fortunate to join the Year Out Drama Company, which is in the Stratford-Ponavon run by Deborah Moody. And it was probably the best year of my life. It's it's a course that is a huge amount of support, love, creativity. And it's a course for those people who are potentially thinking about going to drama school, who are who are potentially having a year of creating theatre and and devising for the last time before they go and create something else or become lawyers or doctors. This is what happened. Um, but there I was then, um, I met lots of amazing people who I'm still you know, very close to now. Um, there I was then taken to Drama Centre London um, by the head of course, Annie Tyson. And I spent three years at Drama Centre 
which was, you know, the nickname of the trauma center, pretty bang on and fortunate to get, you know, a really good solid training there, which I think then I applied to my directing, which we'll come to later. Um, and then from drama center left the safety of school into the big bad world. And uh, throughout my performance career, I was in the mousetrap, um, some Shakespeare tours, lots of different crazy jobs that, you know, at the time, were great fun, but now they were wild. Uh, and then in 2014, joined a bizarre company called Secret Cinema. And I ended up doing two or three performances as a performer until I then became part of the creative team. And I've been there since 2015 making shows. I've gone over two minutes. I apologize. <laughs> You're not the first. You won't be the last. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. That's two minutes. Great. So, um, yeah, lots to unpick there. Um what you it's interesting what you choose to admit there from your your journey um could you tell me because also on your resume is you're a founder of a of a company yeah um who make immersive work mm -hmm. who make successful immersive work mm -hmm. um that w i'm right in thinking that was founded after you left drama center yeah so i created it during my time at secret cinema as well where mm. i wanted to create something where it wasn't necessarily required to have huge budget budgets or huge investment because obviously the titles we create at secret cinema or we take on are incredible and they're fan favorites and they're huge franchise with massive ip and massive studios um but if i could take the story at its core and create an experience where we put the audience at the heart of the narrative where it's people connecting with people like what was the potential possibilities of doing that? What venue could I hire without having to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds? The, the truth was I couldn't. So our first big show, I created it with um, Dan Dingsdale. Our first big show was, was the drop-off, which took place on the streets of London. So we used London as our playground. We endowed other members of the public as other characters and they were spies and they were following you. So you best run, which the audience believed is great. And we, we put cast behind bars. We put cast on tubes. We, um, we became friends with the local police in Waterloo Station who would then potentially like shout out across the Concord at, at certain points because we were the treasure hunt show. We didn't tell them actually the show was about gangsters of London and you're on a manhunt. But yeah, so we, we used our imagination. We, we inspired our audience to hopefully do the same, which they did. And then we, we took them on a 90 minute journey across London to the top of the Shard to a fancy restaurant where you met the gangster, you had champagne, you had a bit of, bit of, bit of food with him. And then he revealed that actually he knew everything about you. Because at that point, you know, we did a re research on every audience member. There are 12 audiences a show. So we did a bit of research on them. We knew their names, where they were from, et cetera. And we kind of revealed that throughout the experience. And then it ended up on a speedboat escape down the River Thames to a private kind of secret lockup place, which turned out it was a cocktail bar. And the audience then got to decide whether the person you were on the manhunt, in your, you were hunting, survived or came to the demise of this, this London gangster. Yeah, so they, they kind of, they had agency and that's something I'm really interested in, which I've been developing in my recent show in America, about giving the audience choice. So it has a direct effect, not just on the, on the narrative, but the outcome of the show. Yeah, how the show actually ends, which is great. That's really, really cool. Mm. Something that I'm very, very interested in myself. Um, and I think for me, it's about offering real choice, as you said, that directly impacts rather than 
fake choice do you want yeah, yeah. left or right and actually it's yeah. the same ending it doesn't matter yeah, which one yeah 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 we, we we just rehearsed six different endings so we rehearsed choreographed teched and then ran six different endings depending on the audience's gameplay of of that evening and what was quite fun about this show arcane in america is that the the actors became competitive because they behind backstage they had a scoreboard they had a tally so they started to then really like you know drive and inspire their audience to to win this game which was really fun yeah that's super cool yeah and then from the drop off gatsby the drop off um then uh yeah 2015 got a phone call asking if i was interested in 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 playing tom buchanan I think we just done, you know, our third show at Secret Cinema since I've been there, and I was about to direct Doctor Strangelove, but it was slightly delayed, so I had like a bit of winter free time, and so I got on a train and went to York, and seven or eight of us got together, and we devised a uh, a version of The Great Gatsby, um, in the an abandoned pub in the centre of York, we painted the walls at night time and we rehearsed in the day. Um, there was minimum set, if any set, and our opening night had the grand total of six people. But that show then kind of, you know, people started talking about it in the city and then a bit of press about it in the local press and then people started to come. And by the end of the, that month run or five week run, you know, we were sold out on New Year's Eve, which was great. And so the next year we decided to do it again. And by the time we put tickets on sale, people started to buy them straight away. And so we got busier. And then the end of that run, we then moved it to the Vault Festival in London. And before we opened or even arrived in London, the whole show was sold out. So then we decided to add midnight matinees. And the midnight matinees were like, you know, an Ibiza version of Gatsby, which was great fun for the audience, tiring for us because we'd just done a whole week of shows and we're doing a midnight matinee and we're doing shows Saturday and Sunday as well. But Gatsby lives on. Gatsby is a story that, you know, has has a place in a lot of people's hearts. People studied it at school or they've seen the film. You know, it's a very it's a very short book, um, but beautiful. And I think there is there is a real nice in for an audience vessel, which is you are a member of Gatsby's party. It's really easy to understand who you are and why you're there. But then of course the story takes you on a on a roller coaster of emotion and and connection, people you know, choose who they side with, Daisy and, and Gatsby or Tom and Myrtle, and that sometimes changes throughout the experience. But you know, Gatsby, you know, is something that that is amazing for all of us who are involved. And it's, you know, many casts have passed through it. It's been in Australia, Australia or South Korea, you know, in Ireland, in Sheffield. A lot of people have had the opportunity to be part of that. So it's it's an amazing little little show. Yeah. So let's talk let's talk generally um because you've worked so you've worked on shows that have a kind of you've worked on performance that puts the audience in a very unique position mm. it um it activates them they're they're walking around they're often having to find out parts of the narrative for themselves so for you as a as a maker of that type of work what what makes great experience I think the first question you have to ask yourself and what I ask myself is who are the audience? Who are the audience? Who are the performers, like the characters they're going to meet? Where are they and what they're doing? So if you can answer the first question, who are the audience? And really keep hold of that and anchor yourself to that throughout the creation and the rehearsal and the performances and the previews and making sure that that is still nice and clear to the audience or we're respecting that and we're not go going too far away from... 
um, putting characters and content in front of their experience, you know, making sure it's balanced. And um, that's, that's the, that's the true kind of focus for me, making sure what they see and what they hear and what they feel is as clear as possible, but also as exciting. We, you know, we want to add spectacle and, and, um, and wonder. Um, and for me, the, the most important part, you know, once the audience character or vessel has landed, who are the audience are the most amazing people and the experience itself, which are the cast, you know, my job as a, as a theater maker and, a, and an immersive theater maker is to facilitate amazing people, you know, amazing, incredible, creative people. These, these immersive performers, they are their own writers, their own directors, and, the, and of course, their own performance. Because in the, in the middle of a moment, within a minute, they might need to change about what they're about to say or where they're about to go because the audience has strongly advised because they've just seen something not to do it. And if the actor can be smart and quick enough to accept that offer, it's magical. Yeah, it's magical. And in this, even the smartest actors can then accept the offer, but sometimes bring the audience round to make the other choice. So these people who we put on the front line, they represent me or Secret Cinema or whichever company, um, but also they are, they are the experience. They are the people who will make memories with those audience members that the audience will then remember forever. You know, it's about connection. That's really cool. So what is the what is the process like in a rehearsal for you? Um, you know, so a lot of work goes into to a show pre-rehearsal. So, you know, most of yeah, actually every show apart from the drop off and, and the Great Gatsby, I've worked with big studios, you know, or you know, license holders, big IP holders. And so a lot of time goes into creating, well, researching firstly the titles or the franchise or you know the film or the TV show um, and, and going deep, deep into it with every character, every scene, um, backstory, why do things happen? Um, uh, what are the consequences of that? Where is it going next? All these things and going to like the mythology of each show or film. Then taking some time to then go away and think about it and create the experience. Like what is our version of that show? You know, audiences want to be in a familiar world. They want to see familiar people, but also they want to experience something new. I can be in a bar within the world and I can see a scene happening that I remember seeing in the film. And suddenly I'm so excited because I am there. I'm in the background of this scene, which is awesome. However, creating something bespoke and unique and original alongside that is amazing because the audiences get a one-off experience they can only experience at our shows. And so a lot of, a lot of time goes into that revising the creative um, and we go to in depth and we design, you know, from the audiences buying a ticket on a website, which, which is where our narrative starts because we have a, a narrative voice and then how we communicate with them to their costume design, what the audience look and how they feel and what they're called and what they wear or what they know or they or tell them to bring into then the casting process, you know, and we have an amazing amount of people, you know, 5,000 people applying for, for these, these shows, which, which is amazing. And, you know, there's so much talent out of there and, you know, we make sure that we, we see as many new people as possible um, to casting, to getting the casting signed off into then finally rehearsals. So by the time we get to rehearsals, I have the creative, I know what the show is. Um, I have the structure of the show. So I know what is happening where, I know the key narrative beats that I want to happen, any stunts, any fights, any music, all of that is 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 locked in. But then specific actor tracks or new ideas is up for grabs because I've just hired 
the best 50 people, 30 people, I believe, to help deliver the show. So what I want them to have is ownership and free will to feel creative in the room and listened to and, and inspired. And, you know, I said before, they are the experience. So it's really important that they have their ideas put forward. And then from that, we kind of rehearse and we fail and we scrap things, we keep things, we refine things, then we change things. There's like, you know, we, we do a lot in the rehearsal room and then we, we add the key ingredient, which is the audience. And, you know, I've just done, you know, my 10th large scale immersive show. Still, the key ingredients, the audience surprise me every time. We know that they like these certain elements or certain kind of scenarios and set pieces. But actually, when we get into previews, it doesn't work. So then suddenly we have a set amount of time to quickly adapt and respond and change it. So I think, you know, at this stage, we've got a good idea of what works and what potentially might not work. But we're always trying to strive for something new. So we've got to take that risk. There's a fine line with immersive work of pushing the boundaries, but we've got to keep pushing those boundaries because that's what the audience expect. We set a certain bar on each show. And so we've got to now challenge ourselves and keep progressing, keep moving forward. Um, like we said just you know a moment ago about giving them choice and agency, bringing that gamification to immersive theater has been a game changer you know, for me in America, seeing that suddenly I've got you know 30 casts who deliver those most amazing characters and amazing missions and tracks and experiences but we brought in the gameplay where we started to bring kind of an escape world element to it you know escape rooms but expanding across the whole site three warehouses so suddenly your beautiful set which you know is has been there and you know and they can see this set time and time again from james bond to you know all these amazing shows like star wars but suddenly your set becomes an extra character suddenly your set has locked rooms or locked uh, cupboards or doors or hatches that you have to try and break the codes or the puzzle to get inside. And once you get inside, it rewards you. So that's something like a new tactile experience that we're bringing to our rich narrative worlds and marrying them together was so exciting, but a big challenge, but, but it paid off and it, and it works in such an interesting way, adding a competitive element to a narrative show it really lit off, you know, the, the whole thing kind of popped. It was great. I know exactly what you mean when adding an audience into that kind of environment. I remember when I was working um, on The Drowned Man with Punch Drunk and they opened for previews and they were like, yeah, okay, that the space kind of works in this way. We're kind of confident because that, that, that's how it was rehearsed. And then they realised that all of the um, audiences were like bottlenecking on every single door. Yeah. And they had to take all the doors off, turn them around, put them on different hinges so that, you know, because the flow of the space was different with an audience in it. Yeah. Um, It's completely changed, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. And and what the audiences are responding to surprises you. There are specific characters that suddenly everyone wants to follow. Like when we did um, Back to the Future, we call it the Marty McFly effect. Martin McFly would walk around Hill Valley and suddenly you turn around, he's got 500 people following him. You know, 5,000 people are there. Suddenly 500 people are following Martin McFly. So we learned from that. And then other shows like James Bond, James Bond would be there in a, in a, in a, in a, in a flash. He would run through in a chase sequence, chasing, um, you know, whatever, maybe a terrace or something. He was chasing them up in, in um, the top of the building. He'd run down some stairs and he'd disappear through a door. Before the whole audience start running after James Bond, he would be there in a flash and he would disappear. He'd be there in a flash and somewhere else and disappear. And it wasn't until later on in the show where he started to then walk in and he had his final moment with M that the audience got to be in the world of James Bond for a longer period of time. 
Um, so that that's important. Flow is integral to an immersive show to make sure that you have the space balance, to make sure that not only one thing interesting is happening at the same time. Make sure that if you have three or four rooms, there is something potentially popping off in each space, balancing the show, balancing the flow and giving the audience a focus point. Otherwise they will hear something next door and they all leave and migrate into one space. If you are bringing them together at the finale, you know, have a beat before the beat. There's something that pulls their focus, allowing them to understand, to move through into one space for what we call like a hero moment, which might be a spectacle of some sort, you know? Yeah. You said um, in your previous bit that you, you look to kind of inspire, you use the word inspire your, your actors when you're in rehearsals. So could you talk a little bit, more in depth about how or like some techniques that you use as a director to let's say if you do have a you know what the scene is for example how do you go about getting those kind of magic moments or um I think because it helps I've been on that side before so I've been on the performance side I've been on that front line and from there just allowing myself to remember what it's like to perform in front of 50 300 people whatever it may be as a solo performer so um, I think the first thing that we, we do in rehearsals is, is I build a team. So I spend quite a few days on building ensemble. So they, you know, we, we crack the eyes, we get to know each other. We, we then play. I like to, I like to um, run a little workshop for a couple of days where we pick a title that, that is not the title of the film. We pick a scenario and I break them into groups so they're allowed to then create together without any pressure. This is not a final piece. We're just picking another film or another title, another scenario. And within that world, they get to work together and see how each other work. We also then get to run those little scenarios. And then we talk about it. Like, what did we like about that? How did it feel being an audience member um, going through these guys' little experience? What didn't work? Okay, you didn't like being shouted at. Cool, let's bring that to our to our knowledge of when we're making our worlds, right? What worked, what didn't work? And so then once we've kind of failed or played in front of each other, we can get then get to work and get cooking I call them chefs because they're cooking multiple pans at the same time, right? My, my, my job is to make the audience um, facilitate and uh, the audience's experience feel kind of smooth and seamless. But actually my job is to, is to make sure our actors are bulletproof and feel ready because they are like chefs. They are cooking multiple pans at the same time. Audiences arrive at different times. They know different information at different periods, but the actors are having one pot boiling, one pot's cold, one pot sizzling, because they're having to remember which group of audiences at what stage, if that makes sense. So once we've got that and we've kind of gone through the workshops and we've, we've got, we understand the concept of an immersive show, a freeform immersive show, we then ask ourselves the questions, who are the audience? Who are we? Where are we? What are we doing? We bring ourselves that kind of together in that way. Every single day, everything we make, we ask ourselves those questions, right? So once we have that, I think the main thing that I'm focusing on is the character, the characterization, but also the story and making sure each scene, each moment is cracked open. There are gateways for the audiences to be present. The audience has to be a necessity in all the shows we make. If the audience weren't there, your character or your mission or your track would fail. That's really important because what we can do is sometimes we forget about that and we create a really tight scene, which is really exciting, but they didn't need to be there. The audience might as well have walked away. So if we make sure that we have that and we have the answers and we have the opportunity for our audience to talk if they want to or advise if they want to, the gateways are there. The scene is cracked open. 
and specifically designed so audiences can have a voice or an input. Yeah, this is super interesting. It's that kind of invite, isn't it? Rather than uh, forcing anything. And, and yeah, it goes yeah. back to the question, like, why are they there? Doesn't it? Like, that's yeah. so central. And and with, with um, working with Disney and other people, like, you know, obviously not everyone knows what we do or have been to a an immersive show before. So like myself and Miguel, who, who are working on a specific show, like we, we've broken down the audience to what we think is roughly like six different categories. And if we can all make a show that kind of ticks each six boxes, that's kind of a good place to start. So you have a narrative player, someone who's coming to a show who wants to experience this whole new narrative together, right? But also um, who wants to experience this new narrative that you can't get anywhere else in the world. The fan, who is a fan of the IP of the title, who loves this film, who wants to hang out with the main character, Martin McFly, from start to finish. Yeah. You have the group player. I want to do everything, but with my six friends. What can six people do together? The social player. The social player is, I've come here. I want to drink a Vespa martini in a gown or a black tie. And I'm going to talk to my friends and stay at the bar and listen to music and dance. Um, The observer. I'm here. I'm having the best time ever please don't make me talk. Like I'm happy to watch my friends talk or other people talk. Don't ignore me, but don't make me do things I don't want to do. And the newbie, someone who's a fan of the title or their friends have brought them, have no idea what a immersive show is. However, I'm up for getting involved, but you've got to hold my hand a bit more. You've got to tell me what this is or what I need to do. So we've got those six kind of worlds, kind of these characters, but they are worlds because they they react in different ways. If you tick those boxes, hopefully there's something for everyone. Maybe we've skipped past this because I'm aware of what secret cinema is, but for someone who doesn't know what secret cinema is, um, I'm inter- I don't want the kind of generic description. What What is secret cinema for you? Mm. Secret cinema for me has has been um, my career. It's like since since being a performer and giving an opportunity by the founder, Fabian Regal to step up and be a creative. It's been a door and it's been an opening that has created every opportunity I've ever had because of one man saying, fine, you give it a go. You know, I was on a show and I kept, I kept to the set to the company manager highlighting things that weren't quite working or things that should change or scenes that weren't running on time, whatever. And then I ended up having a chat with Fabian and the, the outcome was fine. You do it. And so the next show, uh, Dr. Strangelove, I started to direct, which was, which was great. And so Secret Cinema, for me, is, is an opportunity to create worlds of, of the biggest titles, the biggest franchise, the biggest studios, but also meet the most incredible, talented people. I've talked about the cast a lot, but behind the scenes, the people who make these shows happen from the office to the marketing. All these people are incredible and they're creative in their own right. Like we work for a creative company, so everyone in their own right is a creative, um, creative player. Um, but Secret Cinema, yeah, is, is you know, one of the leading uh, international immersive companies where we take the biggest films and we explode them off the screen. We explode these films off the screen and allow our audiences to step in and play a part amongst iconic sets and characters um, over, you know, huge warehouses and incredible sets. Um, but for me, it's, it's, been, it's been the making of my career. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and for those who haven't been, um, I can speak to my own experience of being uh, convicted for a crime I didn't commit, uh, put into a jail bus and taken to an actual 
uh, jail and put into a cell in Shoreditch. And um, the moment that really stands out to me is, so it's in the evening and in, in the dark. And as the bus arrives, all the inmates are kind of banging on the Fresh on the fish. fences and um, really like real hostile environment. We had to get changed into kind of uh, prison overalls and kind of yeah, that was and and obviously the film there was Shawshank Redemption. Um, but you're right, we were in we were in the film and 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 when the characters have a beer on the roof, we got handed out beers. You know, you all, you know this, but for for the listeners who maybe haven't experienced it, it's yeah, it was um, a really interesting experience as an audience member. I don't think I I hadn't had that experience yet as an audience member. Um, and and I think it's really it's it's interesting that that how popular things like this have become like escapism you know we're living through crazy times um but also you know the world is is a tough place sometimes but also having an opportunity to step into the moulin rouge for for three four hours one evening having the ability to get on a shuttle and fly to tatooine fly to tatooine on a far off planet allows our audiences to play you know giving our audiences an opportunity to play and leave them leave themselves outside the door at Canning Town Station or wherever it may be, and come in and play a different character um, with a different accent or a different objective, whatever it may be, for three four hours. It's magical to see. You know all this work that we do, and I've talked about getting with the cast or the teams that make it. But the thing that really stands out is when you see five thousand people or a thousand people come to the show and just have fun and just you know run around and kind of let themselves go. It's a giant playground for adults, you know. That's a great way of putting it. Um, mm. And so, could you? Because you're not only working on Secret Cinema. Uh, the other playground you're working on um, is Time Fracture, which is a Doctor Who experience in London, um, which is kind of in the same ilk. It's, it's a it's an immersive experience that you you go into the Doctor Who world. There's familiar characters there. It's could you could you speak a little bit um let, how did you get into it and then what is it? Yeah. So I've got into it through um uh, Hearts from Hook, Immersive Everywhere, who are the the guys that we made many moons ago, Gatsby. So we made Gatsby um I had the Gatsby journey with them for a number of years then I went back to Secret Cinema. Um, so I was in China making, making James Bond in Shanghai, got a phone call. Um, and I saw it was a great opportunity for me to experience a new producing team. I've been at Secret Cinema a long time and for me to take some time off a couple of months to step out and see how other companies work or how they run, uh, really excited me. So I was lucky enough that Secret Cinema gave me some time off and, uh, it was great an opportunity to work with the BBC as well. And so with Doctor Who, of course, there are years worth of episodes and shows to watch. And so um, I was working with Dan Dingsdale, who's the writer, um, and Rebecca Brower, who's the designer. And so we spent, you know, a number of years, literally years, uh, going deep into Doctor Who. Dan Dan went a bit further than me, um, if I'm honest, but because uh, he's writing it. But Doctor Who Time Fracture then was born, and um, we delayed slightly because of covid uh, which gave us more opportunity to develop it and and finesse the show. But it it's a love letter to Doctor Who. So um, it's an amazing show, again, with an amazing creative team, but it allows the audiences to step in 
and play their part. So Doctor Who Time Fracture has up to 17 different worlds, 40 plus actors, um, historical locations, futuristic locations, alien spaceships, horror, all mixed into one, you know. And over two hours and 15 minutes, our audiences will go on a journey to save the universe, like the Doctor does every Saturday night, right? However, the Doctor can't get there because his fracture in space and time has stopped the TARDIS from being able to travel through. So it's down to these special hand-picked audience from the Doctor, these volunteers, to go into the time fracture, find out what's causing it, and put a stop to it. That is that is the mission. 40 actors, it's a, it's a big, big team. And multiple endings, or no? Um... Multiple journeys and multiple tracks, same ending. Yeah. The world is saved. The world is the universe is saved without you knowing it. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and and um, it's a it's a it's an incredible title because there's so much rich history and characters, and there's an incredible fan base. You know, sixty years of of fans from you know parents bringing their children, and obviously they're classic Doctor Who fans and. The kids are modern Doctor Who, so them them seeing you know a world inspired by both classic and modern is is amazing. Yeah, very loyal fan base. What's it been like working with the big IP then? Because I'm I'm assuming you can't go massively off the book with something like that. I'm assuming that the BBC are um, quite rightly, I would assume, protective over certain elements. So. Um, I imagine there's creative license to a point, but like, what's that been like as a director? Has that been actually freeing because it's a little bit restrictive or, or what? I think my experience um, is pretty similar with all the big studios. If I'm honest, like there are boundaries, there are do's and don'ts, which we kind of ask for when we first start before we get thinking about what the show is. Um, and all, you know there, there are boundaries within the world. Each character has a narrative boundary of what they would do and wouldn't do, and so that applies itself to the title itself. But I think the most important thing is building up that trust, building up that trust with that studio or the license holder, and over time that kind of that that relationship becomes a creative collaboration. So once you start to understand like what the boundaries are, and you start creating the world within that, then every relationship suddenly becomes very, very collaborative and very supportive. The BBC have been amazing. And, you know, we've got huge amounts of real props and costume and elements from the TV show in our world because they believed in the show and they were supportive. Uh, But that comes with, you know, other titles as well, where once you kind of get across that, you get to know each other, you get to see how they work or how we work. And they understand what this world is. You've got to remember, this is, this is still fairly new, taking big titles as such as, you know, 60-year-old TV shows, whatever it may be, and bringing them to life. It's not it's not really been done before. So once they understand the process and what the product is, more often than not, it becomes a creative collaboration, which is, which is very exciting. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, that's that's the dream, isn't it? To have a... It's like having a massive play or script that everyone... I mean, Gatsby would be good at... You know, that's big IP without having the IP, isn't it? It's, um... Exactly. No, absolutely. And you've got to respect it. They're the gatekeepers. And, they, and they've and they been put in charge of protecting, you know, Doctor Who or, you know, Bond. And and that is their job to make sure that what we're, we're creating or our vision is true to to that 
journey and its history and to their fan base, you know? What's difficult about it? Um, sometimes it's, it's, it can be tough sometimes um, having to explain every element of what could potentially happen within the show. Of, of course, like there is an element of, of script within some worlds where there might be set pieces. We might create scenes from the film in our show. We might lift them and put them in. What's difficult sometimes is reassuring studios about the improv element, how our actors through rehearsals and myself will become trained in their character and will remain consistent and true to their character and not break the world. I think sometimes it can be quite scary for big IP holders, big studios, you know, the biggest in the world to understand or trust how this process works. But of course, by the time the audience are face to face with the actors, we've done rehearsals, we've done dress, we've done previews. The actors have probably heard most questions they could ever hear about this scene or about this character's choice. So the actors become, um, very confident, very quickly within their world, within their boundaries. Um, does that make sense about... Yeah, completely. You know, they're asked for a script. How, how, how or when will we get the script? And then we have to explain that there will be scripted moments of big scenes or set pieces. However, a lot of it, and the most exciting, important part, is the free-form, immersive interaction, which is the magic. You know, not knowing what the audience might ask is, is the fun part. But like I said, by the time we get into shows, the actors are are switched on, tuned into their character. And so their response becomes organic as the character, which is which is incredible. And that's that's the magic, isn't it? That's, that's that is where the, the audience gets gets the buzz. Yeah, because, um, because, they, because they may have come the night before or the mm. week before and they asked something different and the actor said something different or they advised something different and the actor responded in a different way. That's when it becomes you know, slightly mind blowing for people. Yeah, um, maybe this is not an arts question, but what what keeps you motivated? I think it's by challenging the form of what we do. I think it's about seeing how far we can push it. And each show, we see how far we can push, and of course, then we set a bar. So then we have to keep pushing and raising the bar as we go forward. Um, but how it can be um, adapted, I'm excited about how we can take you know a six hour experience into a 24 hour experience or into a week long experience and like how far do audiences want to go what is what is what is the kind of um the kind of fine line between audiences having choice and the story not being told how much agency can we give them without nothing happening sometimes you know I mean how far can these choices go and america was a big learning curve like i said bringing gamification to genuinely have audiences trigger one of six endings was super exciting and a big challenge, um, but I but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm going to take that kind of gameplay back into all the shows that I work on because it, it, it's it's kind of progressing and moving this form forward. You know that that's the challenge for me. And what about outside of theatre and experience? Like what what's important to you personally? Well, I've recently become a father, so that was you know I was I was in China when I found out I was gonna be a father. Then I wasn't home for three months, and so by the time I got home, you know my partner was was pregnant, and and so that's been the journey. And um, silver lining of this whole pandemic was that I was actually at home, so I came back um, for Christmas and was meant to go back out to China, but actually 
I hadn't I haven't been back since you know March or, or February 2020 so I got to be here with my son he's now 18 months which is crazy um and family and you know I've, I've been away for three months or four months at the end of last year um you know I, I was lucky enough to have a holiday with my family before I went but then not seeing them is, is a tough time sometimes creating these creating these shows is so exciting so rewarding and having the opportunity to travel to you know to China and America you know I, I wouldn't change it for the world but then also making sure there's a there's a life work balance you know making sure that that now is a thing that I also focus on and make sure that that balance is 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 um is is good and healthy so so how do you do that um I don't know yet, so I'm still working on that because, of course, the travel for COVID was so tight. I had to go to a different country for two weeks before I could enter America. Fortunately, my family were able to come there, so they came to the two-week kind of... And it was really tough, hot in the sun in Mexico, but we had a lovely time, so we spent like quality family time before I went on to America. So hopefully, next time there's an international show, those restrictions won't be there. So either I can come home for a week and then go straight back out, or they can come see me, vice versa. So that, hopefully, as we move forward out of this pandemic, would be an easier scenario, because it was very much go somewhere, stay there, can't leave, um, which was difficult and it was tough, because, you know, you know, it's important to see family, especially at a young age. And do you take work home with you, in that sense? Yeah, so I actually, um, I met my partner at Gatsby. So she played Daisy, I played Tom. And so, you know, I, I bounce ideas, I bounce ideas off, off, off my partner a lot. She's around, but also like this constantly in my brain, you know, I, I am, I am um, very proud of the work we do, but also it, it is with me the whole time um, because that's sometimes where the best ideas come for in the shower. A lot of ideas come in the shower in the morning. And so like, if, if I've, I've got an idea or a thought, but want to bounce off someone, I understand that Lou, she knows these worlds. She's been in immersive shows. She was also in my Blade Runner and Romeo and Juliet. So she knows how, how it works, how the audiences behave. And so that's really fun. Um, sometimes I'm told to stop working and stop talking about it, <laughs> which is fair enough. But yeah. Yeah. Something I find very difficult is switching off. Yeah. I think as a freelancer as well, it's that guilt of switching off that you're that still, I'm still trying to get past that of kind of, yeah, it's actually okay to to have a weekend or to have a but then you but then as soon as I've said that just now I'm like yeah but you could just do like a couple you could do a morning or you know how far could you get in the weekend it's two days you you know but sometimes and like this has happened like over Christmas walking away from it and coming back with fresh eyes is really important like there are sometimes where it gets a, a little bit you know stagnant or saturated with ideas and it's hard to actually see with clarity what it is you're trying to achieve what is you're trying to create and you kind of get stuck on one kind of idea or one narrative beat but actually sometimes taking yourself away and and having a kid has been a great distraction being occupied by him for a couple of hours and then coming back to have a think about where was i and the obvious answer is right there the answer is right in front of you of course that's what we do of course he should go from here to here and the scene happened there so sometimes taking time to look after yourself or distract yourself and step away it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Absolutely, totally agree. But sometimes it works. And actually allowing yourself to go be distracted, the payoff is when you return and you have fresh eyes or a fresh brain, um, it may help you find the answer or that idea. And final question. Yeah. Um, 
what advice would you give to 18-year-old Tom? That being persistent was and, and being driven to, to keep, keep going was the right choice. To take every opportunity was really important. Like I never thought I'd be ending up, you know, end up directing international immersive, immersive shows. I think that was not on my radar. I wanted to be at the National or performing at the Globe, whatever it may be. But actually taking opportunities and fighting, exploring and being open and saying yes, yes to that crazy audition in 2014. I didn't pay much at the time, but I went to it. And I got the job that opened all these doors for, you know, for the next 10 years, which has been amazing. But also like sending those emails. I know sometimes it feels like you're just sending it to a, to an inbox that never gets read, but they do. And you know, I keep doing it. Keep knocking on doors. You know, I take I take time to look at CVs, build up the experience. You know, if you're interested in immersive theatre, there are lots of nice experiences happening around town. Short experiences, you know, for the weekend, whatever. Um, watch shows. Watch shows. Get to know who's performing and what, who's directing what, who's casting what, who's producing what. Um, but persistent, you know, keep going. Uh, and in those, t- in those tough times, know that if, if you can keep somehow surviving in this world, that opportunities will come. They will come in different shapes and forms, but explore those opportunities and you might find and surprise yourself something new. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. That's um, an amazing 45 or however, however long we've been talking. Just That's just flown. Um, Thank you so much for your honesty as well, and um, and all the best in the future. What what is in the kind of near future for you? Uh, Peaky Blinders. So we're going to open Peaky Blinders this summer, uh, which is very exciting. So tickets go on sale shortly. Uh, we're in in um, pre production right now, where we're uh, building up the narrative, like the story I told you about building creative, getting the Peaky Blinders producers to sign off that creative which we've got which is great and so then the next steps is to start going into casting at some point soon um and then rehearsals mid-spring awesome well um well i'll have to come down and uh check that out absolutely. definitely absolutely awesome thank you so much thank you.